Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. You can follow us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. Follow me at Ben Lewis SN590 and follow Mike at McIntyre Tennis. Well, on the schedule, it seemed like a light week of tennis and it was anything but for players in Canada. In Stockholm, Sweden, 20-year-old Denis Shapovalov captured his maiden ATP title. Vashik Pospisil entered the winner's circle in Las Vegas, winning a challenger. Andy Murray hoisted his first singles trophy in over two and a half years. Team Canada unveiled its Davis Cup roster and Swiss star Belinda Ben secured the final spot in the WTA finals, winning the Kremlin Cup in Russia. It was definitely an awesome and unexpectedly great week of tennis, especially on the Canadian front. We also had Steven Diaz and Leila Annie Fernandez make finals in their respective tournaments, while Bianca Andreescu reaches number four in the WTA singles rankings, which is an all-time high for a Canadian female. Uh, we're also very excited that joining us today is a special guest who's often at the forefront of tennis in this country. He's the lead tennis editor at Vav USA and does an excellent job covering tennis for the OTA magazine as well. Max Gao, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Max, before we get into the action, uh, maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about how you first got into the sport of tennis. Uh, I think it's a pretty cool and unique story, just given your young age and how long you've already been covering the sport. And uh, I remember our paths crossing at a Rogers Cup a few years ago when I noticed you bouncing from court to court, capturing all the action, taking your wonderful pictures. And since then, you've really been climbing the uh, media ladder, so to speak. So uh, why don't you tell us a bit on uh, how you got started in uh, the tennis industry? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks for those nice words, actually. Um, so, I mean, I had, I had to jog my memory back a little bit for this. Um, but I think I got first involved in uh, the sport around the age of six. Uh, when I came around, uh, came across some old tennis highlights on YouTube. And I think this, this was over 11 years ago, so like 2008, around that time. And at that time, I started really admiring all of these players who were still at the forefront of the tour, um, and especially like Roger Federer and Maria Sharapova, and who are still big figures in the game today. Um, and actually, I had a lot of friends uh, who really enjoyed team sports uh, back in, in that time. And as much as I tried to enjoy them, and I tried like things like t-ball and all those little like all those little sports, um, I just didn't have the same passion for those sports as I did until tennis really came into my life. And as you basically said, um, everything is I guess the rest is history uh, because I've been fortunate enough to play and train at a few clubs uh, over the years, and I still play a few uh, times if I can. Um, and of course, I've been lucky enough to cover a good handful of events every year, uh, starting as a fan, like you said, and now as a member of the media. I just got to say that the fact you were looking at YouTube videos at the age of six makes me, I don't know about you, Ben, but makes me feel really, really <laughs> no, it old. It makes me feel old as well. That's hilarious. Um, Max, th then making that transition into the, the media side, which couldn't have been easy, uh, and not to discriminate against age, because we certainly don't hold that against you. In fact, it's, it's wonderful, I think, that uh, you've done so much already at, at uh, such a young age. But how was that a bit of an obstacle, and, and how did you persevere and, and overcome to sort of break through and prove yourself, which we think you've obviously done such a great job of? Oh, I think. Uh, well, I think that, uh, at least for me, I was someone who, I mean, I still uh, take rejection a little, little harshly sometimes. Uh, because sometimes I don't really understand um, the the reasoning behind some of these uh, decisions that are made when I apply to become uh, one of the media people at a certain event. Um, and it's definitely happened in the past with, with certain events. Um, and I've always tried to look at it as 
uh, more of a positive than a negative uh, because my parents have always told me that like every failure is a new opportunity to get better and to to build on that. Um, and I basically use that as motivation to keep working harder and to basically pursue one of my my few dreams, I guess, um, to to work as a member of the media. And I'm so uh, thankful that I did, uh, that I persevered, and I basically continued to work uh, as hard as I could uh, and to whatever degree I could to to make that happen. And uh, this year, Max, I'm sure you know it's been a bit of a haven for Canadian tennis journalists in terms of success stories. Uh, before we even get into Denis Shapovalov and him winning an ATP crown this past week, uh, I know you've personally known Bianca Andreescu years before she became the superstar and U.S. Open champion that she is now. And, and on your Twitter page, you, you have a great story uh, running into her at, at the rally in Mississauga and uh, pictures with her. Um, did anything strike you about her as particularly memorable when you, you had the very first chance to interview her as a player and, and as a person? Yeah, um, I think I, I first met her um, at the Under-18 Nationals in Mississauga in 2015. Uh, so it's been over four years since then. And I basically saw her win the title um, alongside Dennis Shapovalov. And I definitely knew right around then that she was a very special talent. Um, and after getting the chance to talk to her uh, not too long after that, um, I really realized that she was really mature beyond her years. Like she was someone who knew what she wanted. She was going to work for it. And she knew exactly how she was going to get there. Like she is someone who is exactly the, she's exactly the same person that the world has seen and fallen in love with uh, these last few months as she's risen up the tennis ladder. Um, and I just think that uh, she's, she's just someone who is able to embrace all the pressure that comes with being one of the biggest figures in this country and one of the biggest sporting figures. And I just think that that makes her even better uh, now that she's, she's only 19 still. Um, and she's already one of the most popular people. And I'm sure she's definitely an idol to a lot of young kids uh, all across the country. And uh, now, of course, she's she's locked in as one of the top eight for the WTA finals in Shenzhen. And just uh, this week, moved up to number four in the rankings, uh, which makes her the highest ranked woman in Canadian tennis history. What do you make of her chances uh, amongst the best in the world uh, coming up in Shenzhen here this fall? Well, as any tennis fan who has followed tennis this year will tell you, um, Bianca is definitely one of the players to beat. And I definitely have to agree with them because she has what I feel is a really complete game. So she can mix it up like an Ashley Barty, but she can also defend very well and go toe-to-toe with those big baseliners uh, who have really dominated the game in the last couple of years, uh, like Carolina Pliskova and Naomi Osaka, as we saw um, at that amazing match um, in Beijing a couple months ago, or a couple weeks ago, sorry. Uh, and there are definitely not going to be any easy matches, uh, especially at the WTA final, but if Bianca can bring that sort of the same type of inspired tennis that she brought at those three amazing tournaments that she won this year. I definitely like her chances of improving on that incredible eight and one record uh, against top 10 players this year. With Bianca winning titles this year in Indian Wells, Rogers Cup, and of course the U.S. Open, plus Felix Ogialiasim reaching three finals and breaking into the top 20, Kind of felt like Denis Shapovalov got a little bit lost in the shuffle this season. Uh, now late in the, the year, he's won his first title, silenced the critics. Uh, what do you like about his game, Max, and what do you think has been the difference in Dennis's turnaround these past uh, couple months? Well, I mean, there's no question that Dennis is one of the most exciting young talents on the ATP Tour right now. 
uh, definitely with his incredible easy power and that beautiful one-handed backhand. Uh, that definitely complements uh, a pretty flashy style of play. And I've typically always enjoyed watching players like that because you never really know what to expect. Uh, and I think that's part of the excitement of sport, in my opinion. And I actually got the chance to talk to him at the Western Southern Open uh, for an interview that I wrote uh, for the OTA magazine a couple months ago. And I think his recent resurgence can definitely be explained by his renewed mindset uh, because he did tell me that he took some time off after Wimbledon to kind of just forget about tennis a little for a little while. Uh, he spent some time at home with his family and friends, and then he kind of went back to the court uh, trying to figure out how he was going to uh, find a way to rediscover that love for the game that all of us have grown uh, to know him for. And I think it's definitely begun to show because, as you said, he made a couple semifinals after that, third round of the U.S. Open, and now with that first title in Stockholm. Dennis will compete. He's already qualified for the next-gen ATP finals, which is the top eight under 21 years old, and uh, Felix is in there as well. Where would you say those two rank today among the best young players in that next generation of uh, budding tennis uh, superstars in the sport? Well, I would say that they can be right up there with the best in the world, and I, they've definitely shown that in flashes with some of their their wins over big players. But truthfully, I still think that there's there's a bit of a gap uh, between them and maybe uh, like Stefano Tsitsipas or Alexander Zverev, for example, uh, because they have not been able to perform consistently as of yet at the highest level uh, week in and week out. Uh, but with that being said, I still think that uh, they're right behind all of those younger guys, and I think it's only a matter of time. Uh, until one of them makes that breakthrough in the same way that Bianca has this year. Max, we're used to this being kind of a quieter part of the tennis season, so it's nice to get these uh, fun Canadian results. Late in the, the season, after that, that final Grand Slam of the year, are you, are you still a, as avidly following players in the sport, or do you kind of turn the calendar over, and are, are you more waiting for 2020? Well, in past years, um, like as a fan of tennis, I would say that I probably followed this part of the season as intensively as the other parts. Uh, but given that I'm now in my senior year of high school and my workload is, <laughs> is slowly be, beginning to pile up, uh, for sure, uh, I don't have as much time as I would like to watch a lot of life, of life tennis or to even follow it at this point, uh, other than maybe the odd match early in the morning or very late at night. Uh, but I still look at the results and I still kind of get a sense of what's happening in the world. Um, but apart from the season-ending championships that I always follow, um, I usually start setting my sights on 2020, uh, like most of the players. And uh, I'm assuming we're going to be seeing you at the uh, Tevlin Challenger again this year, Max. You'll be one of maybe three and a half media members covering it with us. Is that <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Tell me, of the different events that you've had a chance to either cover or go to as a, as a tennis fan before you got into the media, is there one that sort of stands out above the rest as a, or one or two that stand out as like a key moment that you were really like thrilled to be there and, and capture it live? Well, um, as you said, like I started as a fan. So a lot of these amazing moments that I've been a part of, I was there as a fan, uh, but more so as a, like a member of the media, maybe. I would say that probably uh, the Fed Cup tie between Canada and Ukraine last year um, in April, um, it was my first, uh, like event as a member of media. So I definitely really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, and of course, um, the Rogers cup this year with Bianca absolutely tearing through the draw and making history, uh, just being there and getting to witness the incredible impact that she's had on the game already at such an early age. Uh, that definitely was a really special moment for me. 
And Max, you're uh, still in high school, as you mentioned, and you've already established yourself so well in, in this field in, in tennis. And I, I know you also do some covering of figure skating. Is this, do you think, all part of the, the career path plan? Do you hope to cover the sport for years to come? Well, um, when I started covering tennis as a fan about five or six years ago, um, I always did it as a hobby because I had, and I, I mean, I still have a genuine love for sports journal- journalism. Uh, but as much as I might love it, um, I'm hoping to pursue a slightly different career path, uh, which I am still in the midst of trying to figure out right now uh, as I get ready to apply for university and different programs. Uh, but I definitely hope to be able to cover uh, or to continue to cover these events uh, for many years to come in some degree, uh, because there's nothing that really gives me that sort of adrenaline rush or gives me that excitement uh, than being part of the action and being one of the first people to witness and cover a pretty amazing moment in sporting history, uh, regardless of where it is or when it's happening. Um, so I definitely hope to be able to continue my work in that in that way in some way in the future. And uh, we certainly hope uh, to continue following your work because it's, it's excellent. And uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast this week. And uh, we'd love to do it again sometime next year. Perfect. Thank you so much, guys. All right, Max, take care. We'll see you at the Tevlin, buddy. Yeah. That was lead tennis editor of Vavil USA and contributor to the OTA magazine and a lot of work with Tennis Ontario, Max Gao. You can follow him on Twitter at Max J Gao. That's G-A-O. And uh, always envious because uh, <laughs> he's done such terrific work. And uh, as you mentioned, he's still in high school. Could you imagine having had that access to players? I mean, we were both huge tennis fans when we were teenagers as well, right? Could you imagine of having that was like the ultimate dream? I never even thought it was possible. I'm just happy that in my late 20s, I was able to crack through and and make something of it. But uh, to me, if Bianca, Dennis and Felix represent the future of Canadian tennis on the court, then to me, Max represents the future of Canadian tennis journalism because he's got such a passion for it. He does it right. And uh, I mean, I don't want to compare, but there's just so many tennis writers, sports writers who... You can tell they're kind of like jaded and immune to it all. They they stay in the bunker, so to speak, you right. know, and Max lives, eats and breathes tennis. He's out there covering the grounds. You always see him with the camera and he's really taken advantage to me of the, the tech aspect of things. And I mean, why not? If he was looking at tennis clips on YouTube at six years old, he's grown up with it, but he's definitely got the social media side of it covered. He takes great photos. And he's just a nice, uh, I was going to say nice kid, and that's doing him a disservice, but he's just such a nice young man. And uh, it's been great to see his, his progress. And uh, I hope he does maintain, even if he's pursuing other things, which, hey, Max, if you're listening, that's great. Do that too. But uh, make sure you keep a hand in the tennis journalism because you've definitely got a place there. Yeah, uh, no kidding. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. You can follow us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can follow me at Ben Lewis SN590. And you can follow Mike at McIntyre Tennis. Uh, we'll continue with the ATP action. Of course, we let off mentioning that Denis Shapovalov won his maiden title in Stockholm. He didn't drop a set on route and defeated uh, Filip Krajanovic in the final in straight sets. 6-4, 6-4. Served so incredibly well for the full week. Uh, 16 aces in that victory and just hitting really, really big at this indoor event. Uh, it, it's, it's great to see Dennis back playing, I think, his best tennis. I had to double-check the stats when I saw 16 aces in the final. I'm like, oh, maybe they've like, <laughs> it's a typo or something, right? But obviously hitting that serve so cleanly. And the past couple months have just been such a nice reversal for him. 
to be playing such great tennis. And I think a lot of that credit has to go to, I mean, it's part of the maturing and the, uh, you know, the growing up uh, on tour as a 20 year old, you know, that's just normal. Uh, but also that partnership with Mikhail Yuzhny that is still ongoing uh, has definitely yielded results. They're obviously meshing well together. And I'm really happy to see that this is going to silence that criticism that was already sort of mounting that he was Owen, what was it, Owen 7? Owen 7 in semifinals. Owen 7 in ATP semifinals. I mean, first of all, how many 20 year olds would love to have even played in seven semifinals as a professional? Especially when you look at how some of them were 2017 uh, Montreal Masters, Coop Rogers, 2018 Madrid Masters. Mm-hmm. 2019 Miami Masters. I mean, I would take those results at that age over winning a 250-level tournament, to be perfectly honest with you. And so the fact that there was criticism of a player so young who's still learning and developing, to me, was just uh, a little bit hard to come to terms with. So I'm glad that that's over, and we can spin it the other way now and say Denis Shapovalov, who is undefeated in ATP Finals. There you go, a perfect 1-0. and And you're you're absolutely right. Semifinals of a Masters 1000 is a fantastic result and we're looking at three of them so three of those seven seven semifinals losses and you're talking about losses to players like a Federer and a Zverev uh, I, I think he's carving out a great young career at age 20 and you look at Philip Krajinovic he was also playing in his first ATP final and he has some years on Dennis um, so this is a goal that Dennis set at the beginning of the season it's now achieved uh, and I think it's a real monkey off his back uh, he did join uh, Tennis Canada for a conference call and uh, we'll just take a listen for a minute on a couple of clips of, of what Dennis had to say uh, about his win in Stockholm. I think it's uh, a pretty big step that I took uh, last week. Um, you know, me and my team have been working towards the title for for a couple years now. It's been it's been a big goal of ours, and uh, you know, to finally accomplish it, it's uh, it's a big kind of weight off the shoulders, but it's a uh, it's also a really big step forward. It was great that uh, I approached it really in a really excited way, you know, not not nervous at all, to be honest. I was really um, happy to to go out there and uh, and show everybody my game and, and have a chance to, to kind of celebrate and, and play in something something as special as as an HP final, you know. So I'm really happy that that I was able to approach it that way. And I think it's uh, it's a really big confidence uh confidence booster for me for for the future knowing that uh you know knowing that first of all i have already a title um under my belt and uh you know i could play more more relaxed but also that that i really get up for these matches and i get uh really excited and there you have it dennis shapovalov he became the 15th first time tour level champion this season uh which is the most first time winners uh on the atp in 20 years since 1999, which I I found to be a very curious stat, which someone sort of pointed out to me that while we do still have the big three dominance at the Grand Slams, other players are starting to make some inroads at other events. And of course... Nadal, Federer, Djokovic are selective about their schedules as well. Yeah, this season had a different vibe to it. I know it's not quite over yet, but seeing all those new faces in the winner's circle is definitely a sign to me that this change is happening, and Mm -hmm. it's happening at that level. Like you mentioned, 250, 500 events and some Masters events as well. 
the big three still conditioned to playing the best of fives and have all that experience. It's a totally different animal. Uh, you know, I can almost guarantee you that if the slams were best of three, as some people out there would like to see, I'm not one of them, mind you. Yeah. But if it was, I think we would have seen uh, not a changing of the guard, but we would have seen a few more uh, different results over yes. the past few years. But the best of five, it's still Rafa, Roger, and Novak who know how to do it and and endure those types of matches. And, uh, you know, 2020, we'll see. We've been talking about it for years. Is this the season that we have a change? <laughs> the last three years have been entirely dominated by those three. Um, but uh, it has been nice and refreshing to see new winners. And it's, you know what? Hey, look, it's great to see a, a first-time winner hoist that trophy, even more so when it's Canadian like what Dennis did this week. Yeah, certainly a moment he will never forget for the rest of his life. Uh, another Canadian who had a great result at an ATP Challenger in Las Vegas Vashik Pospisil defeated James Duckworth in the final 7-5-6-7-6-3. He wins a challenger event there, and it is just amazing to me to think that he was recovering from a herniated disc, having surgery on his back uh, just back in January and making that return in Wimbledon. And, you know, we, we had the discussion at the time of what can Vashik produce in terms of singles now that he's returning in his career and how difficult will it be. I was not expecting uh, such a tremendous stretch of play for him uh, in the summer into the fall. I'm so surprised as well, and I was surprised from the moment he came back on court, basically. I mean, at Wimbledon, he really pushed uh, Felix in a tough one. Yep. And then the U.S. Open, taking out Hatchinov in the first round, again, you know, didn't see that one coming. Uh, especially so soon into the the comeback, so those must have been very very validating results. And add to that now this uh, this win in Las Vegas, he's clearly on the right track. He looks to me like he's going to be top 100 if he keeps playing at this level for sure. And after all that he's been through, it's just got to feel so good personally for him, for his family, for his team to have these kind of results to close out 2019. I mean, he could have accomplished half of this, and I think we'd still be talking very positively about what he's doing out there. So congrats to Vashik Pospisil. He's one of the good guys. He's one of the nice guys out there on tour and uh, very excited now to see what he can do as he starts 2020, you know, healthy with the rest of his peers to uh, kickstart the season, which he wasn't able to do, obviously, this past season. Yeah, and it's a huge boost to the ranking. He moves up 23 spots to number 168. Uh, Steven Diaz also made some great inroads. He fell in the final of uh, the Challenger event in Ningbo, uh, which is a nice result, and his ranking going up 20 spots to number 136. And this is like one of the quietest sort of rises in the Canadian rankings to me. Because you don't see him at some of the more traditional events. Uh, You know, fans in, in Canada probably aren't that aware of Steven Diaz, and yet here he is on the cusp of the top 130 playing the best tennis of his career and he's not a young buck either this is not like a Dennis or a Felix right so for him to be doing this in his I want to say late 20s is uh, is quite impressive and so hats off to Steven Diaz uh, wouldn't that be something if we could have another Canadian man in the top 100 in the singles world yeah that would be unbelievable we have four right now Braden Schnur just inside the top 100 at number 98 uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this next player who uh, we used to refer to it as as the big four. And who knows with this type of comeback he's on uh, if we can call it the big four, uh, four again. Because if you rewind nine months ago, we saw a tribute video being played for Andy Murray on court at the Australian Open after he lost a, an epic 
uh, five-set match to Roberto Bautista Gut there. In effect, it was like a retirement video. It felt like goodbye. Uh, and incredibly, following a hip resurfacing surgery, he's not only back to competing, he started in some doubles, uh, but here he is into the fall winning his 46th career singles title and, and beating Stan Wawrinka in a terrific final in Antwerp. This, to me, is not only one of the best tennis stories of the year, I think it's one of the best sports stories. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. And while Vashik's comeback was certainly difficult from a back surgery, there was never the question of would he be able to continue playing. Andy Murray's, yeah, as you mentioned, We thought it was all over or quite likely all over. And even when he came back in doubles, okay, he's putting a toe in the water here, but who's to say if he'll be able to handle, you know, the load when you're out there on your own on the court. So fantastic stuff. British tennis fans must be over the moon. And again, Andy Murray, I mean, great guy, great sense of humor, great for the sport. I think even when he does retire one day, he's going to have hopefully a place of prominence in the sport because he's one of those voices that you just want to hear that you trust about his, you know, views on equality and that there's a place for everybody at the table. And uh, it had been a while since he'd won a, a singles title. And, and that, you know, hip had been bothering him for quite some time. So not only is he back winning a title for the first time since, I believe, Dubai in 2017, but he's playing pain-free. And so that also gets, uh, you know, tennis fans excited to see what he's going to be able to do with a full calendar next year. And, uh, yeah, maybe the big four will uh, live to, uh, to fight another day collectively. We'll see. Yeah, certainly Murray's already achieved so much in the sport. It would have been enough had he not returned. So to see him not only return and play this great tennis, it was an interesting parallel as well. Him playing Stan Wawrinka in the final, he also dealt with serious injuries to his knee and he was sidelined for a long time. So another player, uh, I think this is his second final since making that return from the knee issue. But uh, great to see two veteran players and a pair of three-time Grand Slam champions uh, duel it out in a final in Antwerp. Uh, Just moving into the action this week because it has already begun in Basel, Switzerland. Roger Federer, the number one seed and gunning for a 10th title there at his home event. And he started things off with a victory over a qualifier fire today. Alexander Zverev is the second seed and Dominic Team will be the top seed in Austria at the Erst Bank Open. Milos Raonic, Felix Ojeda-Aliassime, Denis Shapovalov all in the draw and my eyes are going to be I think on Milos Raonic who has an interesting first round match against Hyung Chung. Yeah, first career meeting between the two and all eyes on Milos because, you know, let's be honest, we don't know how his health is really going to hold up. It, it hasn't been able to uh, be at the level he needs to be successful for any consistent stretch. Unfortunately, in 2019, as he's admitted, uh, he may get a second round match, uh, a rematch, you could say, against Felix uh, as the two of them played most recently uh, this past summer at the Coupe Rogers in Montreal, where unfortunately, after two sets, trading the first two sets, Milos had to return tire so they could face each other in the second round Felix of course would have to get by Andre Rublev who uh, won the title at the Kremlin Cup uh, they've played once before with Rublev winning that one match on clay in three sets in 2018 and uh, Denis Shapovalov back at it against Pablo Karenia Karenia Busta uh, who leads that one uh, two to one they've split results this year Shapo on clay oddly enough and Karenia Busta on uh, hard courts yeah, I think the memory for people with uh, Pablo Carreño Busta and Shapovalov uh, playing fourth round match at the U.S. Open a couple of years ago where... Uh 
Carreno Busta kind of took that open draw and, and got all the way to the semifinals and, and they had a tight match there. So it'll be interesting to see that encounter because I know Carreno Busta also coming over from Stockholm. So we'll see how both of those players are feeling. And all three of these players are going to be part of Canada's Davis Cup team, which they are sending to the inaugural finals in Madrid, Spain, the event running from November 18th to November 24th. And this is a stacked Team Canada. Uh, and Frank Dancevic, the captain, and has a lot of options to pick from. Yeah, as we record this today on a Monday, the day that the uh, announcement was made, along with other countries revealing their squads, uh, it's the best squad that we could put out there. It's the best squad that we've ever put out there, I would say. And I think many people would probably agree with that statement. Milos Raonic, also veteran Vashik Pospisil, it's kind of funny calling them veterans now, but they are really, mm-hmm. you know, along with the young guys, Denis Shapovalov, Felix Ojeali-Asim. So that team is stacked. You could put any of them out there in singles. You could put any combination really in doubles as well. So uh, Captain uh, Frank is going to have his hands full with those tough decisions as Canada's in a pool with Italy and the United States to uh, to begin Pool F. Uh, this is happening in Madrid from November 18th to 24th. And we were fortunate enough to have Frank Dancevich join us to uh, discuss his thoughts on this talented squad that he's taken into battle. Canada's Davis Cup team has indeed been unveiled this week. And uh, the roster featuring Felix Oje Aliasim, Denis Shapovalov, Milos Raonic, and Vashik Pospisil. And we're very happy now to be joined by the captain of this Davis Cup squad and former player Frank Dancevich. And Frank, it, it certainly goes without saying, I think, that this is... This is the best team Canada has ever assembled at Davis Cup. In terms of who the country is bringing to Madrid next month, uh, what do you think is the the biggest strength of this team? Uh, Hello, yes, good evening. Uh, Absolutely, uh, you're right on point with that. Uh, You know, we're, we're coming in to the finals here very strong. Um, You know, we've we've yet to have such a good team uh, ever actually in, in the history of Canadian tennis so it's 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 a, it's a really good time um, and place to, to be going in, into uh, the Madrid finals with these guys um, we have a combination of uh, veterans on the team uh, Milos and Bashik and the two young guns uh, with you know Dennis and Felix that's a, I think it's a great combination of of uh, you know, if we need to make ma- have matchups during other countries and stuff, we can we can mix and match uh, as the week goes on. This is the first installment, uh, Frank, of the new Davis Cup format, and uh, Canada's placed in Group F alongside the United States and Italy. What different challenges do both of those countries bring that you'll have to deal with as uh, captain of the team? Yeah, well. Uh, going into the final, uh, every team is going to be very difficult. They're all very high-level players. Uh, it's it's going to be a little. It's what the new format. It's a little bit different. Everything happens a lot faster. Uh, instead of it being three out of five sets, it's uh, shorter matches, two out of three sets. So it's going to come down to a lot more clutch points and uh, you know being uh, very ready from the beginning of the matches. So. Uh, you know, there's no really no room for error, really, with the two singles and one doubles matches. So uh, it's going to be really, you know, the focus level is going to have to be really high in every single match and, and every single point matters a lot. And given that this is the new format and the first we will really be seeing of it, um, as captain, is that going to maybe change how you, you might go about deciding your matchups or or you know, you, you've had experience in this Davis Cup field. Uh, yeah, how much do you think the new format will maybe alter how you would coach here? 
Yeah, well, it definitely changes things. Uh, like I said, that just the four, shorter match is uh, it's you know it's it's different playing a two out of three set match and a three three out of five set match. Um, you know, conditioning, for example, uh, there are a lot easier matches to play than than the long three out of five set match. So you don't have to worry about you know getting tired uh, in matches. You can you can change your strategy a little bit with your player. Uh, you know, sometimes playing a little bit longer points or having to, you know, so th- there, there's definitely some strategic um, things that, that can be changed uh, in a shorter match. Uh, and also the three matches instead of five matches in the weekend. So those are, those are two things that, um, you know, those are things that, that are, that are different, but it's neither an advantage or a dis- disadvantage. I wouldn't say it's just a matter of, uh, of adapting to it. In, in the past, it's been maybe at times more obvious who was going to be playing singles versus who was going to be playing doubles. Now you look at those four players and assuming everyone's healthy, uh, you know, at the end of November for this, you've got quite some interesting uh, decisions that you're going to have to make. Have you given any thought already to possible combinations? And in, in particular, I'm just wondering about the doubles. Is there any which way that you're sort of leaning at this stage of the game? Uh, well, I haven't really, uh, I, I've been thinking about it, but it's, uh, you know, there's still a long ways to go up until the tie. I mean, they're, they're, the players are still playing tournaments. Uh, they're still out there, um, you know, playing. They just started playing indoor events uh, last week. So there's still a little bit, a little ways to go uh, for the selections, but uh, they're, these are good problems that I have. I have really high level players that I have to select from. And it also has to do with matchups, who they're playing. If uh, I have a player who, you know, who's beaten the opponent a few times in the past, well, this has to, has something to do with, uh, you know, whether that player has will be more eligible to play the matches or not. This will go into my considerations of of who might be playing or not. So there's there's a lot of factors that are going that are going to go into the decisions. But uh, so it's a little bit early early to tell right now who's gonna who's gonna be playing the matches or not. As you mentioned, yeah, it does feel like a, sort of good problems to have because we have a wealth of so many great players going here, and a few of them just seem to be peaking at the perfect time, particularly Denis Shapovalov just won his maiden ATP title in Stockholm, and we've seen some highs from Denis already early in his career. Uh, have you spoken to him since that, that big ATP title, and, and how impressed were you by his uh, game uh, this, this past week in Sweden? Yeah, he's been playing lights out tennis, and and I saw a few of his matches, and it's it's really it's great to see him come through and win his first title. I mean, that's that's huge for his game, for his confidence, for for everything, and and for our team, it's big too having a guy like that coming in hot uh, for November. So uh, yeah, he was super excited. You know, I congratulated him, and he was really happy to. Uh, he was really really excited for his first title. So. Frank, it's kind of strange when you look at the roster and you don't see Daniel Nestor's name there anymore after being a such a fixture on the squad for so many years. What's it like for you as as captain not having Danny around anymore, either on the court or just you know his good nature in the locker room? And and also, how much do you miss playing? Because you came to uh, represent the country many many times as well in the past. Well, to your surprise, Danny's going to be there. He's coming. I invited him to come for the week, so he'll be there. He'll be hanging out with us. So <laughs> That's awesome. So that'll help in the locker room to keep the mood light, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. He'll be there and uh I think it would it'll be it'll make for a great atmosphere and and I'm sure he'll give us a few doubles tips for the weekend. So it'll be really exciting to have him there. 
for the week. And um, for myself, uh, the question was, how do I feel not playing? Is that, was that the question? <laughs> yeah, just after representing Canada so many times yourself, is it tough to be so close but not as an active participant anymore? Uh, actually, I, I, not really. It feels great. I feel like uh, I'm still part of the team in a really big way and I feel like you know I'm winning along with these guys uh, whether it's me playing or, or being the captain I felt like uh, you know example was the last tie uh, in Bratislava qualifying uh, Felix winning that fifth match uh, I almost felt like I won the match inside and, and that's you know it's like we won it as a team and I think that's one thing with Davis Cup that whether you're the captain or you're the physio or uh, the player, you feel like it's a team event and we all you know, need, need each other to get through and we need to, to work together to get through that week. And, and it's, it's, for me, it's a great feeling uh, just being the, being the captain and, and seeing that uh, I can you know, help these young guys uh, and, and these players get through and win these matches and, and make it to where we are now and, and go as far as we can go. And you've mentioned, obviously, the great mix here that we have of the youth of Canadian tennis players and then the veterans as well. And I, I'm looking at Milos Ranic, who in the past has played so well at Davis Cup, 18-6 and six overall. Uh, but he's had sort of a, a trying season in terms of injuries, and his body has been letting him down uh, the past few months. I, I know he's returning to the court this week. Do you know where he's at right now physically, and, and are you anticipating that, that he'll have any trouble at all being ready to play in, in about a month? Well, we've been in touch, and he, he, had, a, he had a minor injury for a few weeks, and uh, he, he said he's, you know, he's ready. He's playing his first tournament back. So for now, it looks good. It looks good since it, that he's, he's actually playing a tournament. I know that Milos, when he goes to play a tournament, he likes to be 100% for the event, so um, it looks like he, he's on the right track to be to be playing well uh, for November. Well, Frank, uh, we're we're so looking forward to watching uh, this installment of Canada's Davis Cup team. As you mentioned uh, off the top, I think it's the best team we've ever seen. So many fantastic players, and we'll be following closely when you guys are in Madrid come November. All right, thank you very much. There you have it, uh, the captain of Canada's Davis Cup team that they will be sending to the finals in Madrid, uh, Frank Dancevic, who is always a fun player to watch, as you mentioned uh, before we recorded this podcast. And I was not expecting that news that Daniel Nestor is also going to be joining the team. And he's, I think, the loudest individual of the bunch, which is going to, I think, really lighten the mood, keep the atmosphere uh, fresh and, and energized. And that's probably surprising to a lot of people because Daniel Nestor if you see him playing or, or even in practice sometimes, not the most like jovial or the loudest guy out there. You wouldn't really think it. But no. behind closed doors, this guy is a riot. He keeps the guys laughing. He keeps the mood light. I think he's absolutely the right guy to have over there. I mean, we all kind of assumed that once he retired, he would uh, take over the Davis Cup team. Obviously, Frank's been doing it for a little bit of time now. But I see a potential future one day for Daniel in that role. But I think it's really cool that Tennis Canada and Frank Dancevich is happy having uh, Nestor join them in Madrid. He's going to keep the players relaxed. He's going to keep the mood fun. And uh, even though, you know, uh, Felix and Dennis have, you know, quite a bit of uh, Davis Cup experience already at their young age, I think this will just help them to uh, to relax that extra little bit and uh, sort of help the gelling process of this this team as well.
Yeah, I think so. And this is a very interesting group F uh, with Team Italy, who's sporting players like uh, not only Fabio Fanini, a veteran, but Matteo Berrettini, who was in the U.S. Open semifinals and is playing fantastic tennis. And then you look at the American squad, which kind of mirrors Canada's squad in a way, having the young rising players like a Taylor Fritz, a Francis Tiafoe, the big server Riley Opelka, Jack Sock, a fantastic doubles player, and then Sam Query as well, the veteran leadership. So a very interesting mix of three very strong teams. And, you know, it's going to come down to execution and best two of three. The margins are going to be slim. It's who's playing the biggest points the best. And it's going to come down to health as well. And if we've got a healthy Milos Raonic, that will make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. If he's not at full health or, you know, this is still, uh, you know, we've got a month to go until the, uh, the Davis Cup begins. If he's not able to go, that would definitely dampen Canada's chances. But if he was there and he was healthy, uh, this squad looks primed right now because you've got Dennis playing his best tennis of the year. You've got Vashik who's playing fantastic. Uh, Felix has had a little bit of a lull, but I almost feel like Felix is is potentially going to have to take a, a back seat here. And it'll be interesting to see. As Frank said, it's all going to depend on matchups and prior success and what combination feels right at the time. I think choosing the doubles team is going to be uh, a really interesting uh, choice for Dancevich and the squad because you could almost go with any combination there And I think it would give another team uh, some serious trouble. Yeah, uh, certainly. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. Follow us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. You can find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Matchpoint Canada. And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to wrap today with WTA action. Belinda Bencic earned her spot at the WTA finals. That was with a semifinal win over Kiki Mladenovic. Then she defeated Anastasia Pavlachenkova in the finals to win the Kremlin Cup. So another excellent player uh, confirming her spot in Shenzhen. Very interesting mix. We talked about Bianca Andreescu's chances with Max. I look at players like Naomi Osaka, who I think has a great chance to win, but she's had so much trouble beating a player like Belinda Benches. So that will be a very interesting final coming up next month. In Luxembourg, Elena Ostapenko won the title, beating Julia Gerges in the finals. Ostapenko uh, looks like a rejuvenated new player, adding a former slam champion, Marian Bartoli, to her coaching team, which is a very interesting partnership. And that's her first win in over two years. Her third career title on the Canadian side, Layla Annie Fernandez was back in an ITF final in Waco, Texas. And she has had a really good transition from the junior ranks into these ITF challenger type events. Uh, in the summer, she had success making the finals of Granby, winning in Gatineau, making the final now here in Texas. And uh, she's going to play in um, Saguenay this week and the Tevlin Challenger as well next week. So if you're in Quebec, if you're in uh, the Toronto area, go and check her out. She's only 17 years old. She's got a heck of a game already. And, uh, you know, we talk about the young talent like Dennis and Felix and Bianca. And at some point, hopefully Layla Annie is uh, able to join that group. She looks like she's taken all the necessary steps at this stage, uh, you know, to progress, hopefully in 2020 to play more WTA type events. And even though she's got a slight frame and you wouldn't think it, she can handle the power. She can throw it back. And uh, it's really great to see her uh, having continued success this season, not just winning that French Open Junior Championship, but transitioning well uh, to the pro level. Yeah, certainly. And I look forward to watching her at the Tevlin Challenger, as you mentioned, here in Toronto. We mentioned the Bianca Andreescu 
uh, news that she is up to fourth in the rankings, making her the highest ranked women's Canadian tennis player in history. Some other news before we wrap up here. This was a little curious as uh, Sasha Bajan uh, ended his coaching partnership with Kiki Mladenovich and Mladenovich seemed like started to be playing some better tennis summer into fall and uh, Mladenovic sharing that news. So curious if he has another player maybe lined up leading into the 2020 season. I mean, I know there's a revolving door with coaches and you just can never bank on how long you're going to have that position for, but this guy really seems to go through a lot of players and he's had some great success in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, This time the decision is, is on his terms and Mladenovic was not super pleased about that. She did say, I'm very disappointed about Sasha's decision. They were making progress. I mean, here's a player who used to be uh, top 10 in the world in 2017 who had faltered in singles. She's still playing great in doubles. Uh, but when they joined up six months ago, she was mid-60s in the ranking, and now she's back inside the top 40. And she's got a ton of great wins this year over players uh, since the partnership began, over Burdens, over Vekic, Svitolina, Kerber, Barty, Bencic. I mean, that's an impressive list of victories for her and so I could totally understand how she would feel slighted that hey I'm making progress we're improving why would you leave me at this point in time to me and I don't want to wade into the rumor mill but you'd have to think if he's doing this there's got to be something on the side that he's planning to uh, to jump over to at some point. Yeah, I would think so. And he has quite the resume uh, working as hitting partner for Serena Williams, Sloan Stevens, Caroline Wozniacki, Victoria Azarenka. As I mentioned, Caroline Wozniacki, that's a good way to wrap because uh, last week we had a signed ball out of Rogers Cup from Caroline Wozniacki, the Australian Open champion from 2018. And Mike, I know we have drawn a winner for yeah. said tennis ball. Thanks for uh, thanks again to Tennis Canada for hooking us up with some uh, swag from the Rogers Cup this year where it was signed. In case you're wondering the time frame, okay, the autograph is still relatively fresh. Yeah. And uh, our winner this week, and thanks to everyone who participated, uh, our winner is Nicole Wong. So we will be in touch about how we can get that tennis ball out to you. And, uh, you know, the good news is we do have more in the future. I'm not going to name any names right now, but we will have some more stuff to uh, share with you this year, to engage with you this year. And so keep checking back for our next giveaway on Matchpoint Canada. Either way, we we always appreciate the retweets and the shares, no matter what. And thanks to so many of our loyal listeners for tuning in. As always, this has been Matchpoint Canada, and we thank our guests for this week, Max Gao and Frank Dancevic. We will talk to you next time.